This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'll be buried in my grave. Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes! Yes! Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you, I missed you too. I know it's been, it's been two weeks. Thank you. Show us how happy you are with your applause. How would we know how happy you are? If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. I'd like to wish you a Shana Tava and a Gamar Khatima Tava. I'm so happy to have you with me tonight. And for those who don't know what that means, that of course means Happy Jewish New Year. Happy 5780. That's how old Jews think the earth is. So uh, happy Jew year to you and yours. Uh, I was away for a couple weeks doing some incredibly important things, but now I have returned and I am so glad to be back. This is a Muddied Waters Media production, as always. Check us out on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, the Float app. Get the Float app, F-L-O-T-E. Check us out there. We are everywhere on the internet. Anywhere on the internet that isn't terrible, and even some places on the internet that are terrible, be sure to check us out. Muddy Waters Media, check us out everywhere. Like us everywhere. Follow us everywhere. Give us either five stars or 10 stars, whatever the maximum number of stars is, give us that number of stars. If there is a bell that you have to hit, hit the bell. There are apparently some of them need have bells that you have to hit. So hit the bell if applicable. Share this video right now. The last thing I want is for your closest loved ones and, and friends to miss out on a roughly hour-long Libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This program, of course, is brought to you by Anchor FM. I will be plugging that later roughly halfway through this program at the most inappropriate moment possible. The intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That is J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, SoundCloud. Go to his uh, Bandcamp, joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Be sure to check him out. Buy his entire discography. It's like 15 bucks. I'd like to thank Nestle for this delicious French-sounding drinking water. I don't know where it's from. I assume it's French. It is from Reverse Osmosis. Thank you for that. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him. As always, guys, my guest tonight is one of my favorite people who is currently putting out videos on social media right now. He is the host 
of the other black guy who likes gun show. He is insightful. He's hilarious. He is a, in my opinion, a Grammy level singer. And if you're not watching him, you're missing out. So ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show, Mr. Marcus Matthews. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really happy to have you on. Uh, you are hilarious, and I've been looking forward to this all week. And guys, be sure to comment with your questions and thoughts, and Marcus and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Marcus, this is your first time on the show, uh, and the first <clears> thing I always ask my guests is to tell me uh, how you would describe your your beliefs, I guess your political beliefs, and then I guess tell me a little story, a ditty. Tell me a ditty about how you came to those beliefs. Was it like an aha moment or kind of a gradual evolution? Tell us your political ditty. Well, basically, I believe do no harm. And the the do no harm principle, where you don't do any harm to anybody's person or property. Okay. Now, how I came to that is has been, indeed been an evolution. Because I grew up with parents that lived that Jim Crow scene that people seeing black and white with the water hoses and the dogs and all that shit. Right. I, I've seen all of that uh, uh, through the stories that my parents have told me. And I've always believed in social justice because of that, because I, I feel like everybody should be treated equally under the law. Right. And so within that, I noticed that there was a lot of inequities in our society and you know, you can look at it as from a racial point of view, which I don't. I look at it from a power structure point of view because I'm a pre-Bacon's Rebellion American. Hmm, okay. And I understand that this country originally wasn't divided along racial lines. It was divided along economic lines. And we have... Right gone to the extreme in that over the last 35, 40 years, as far as economics goes. So my core beliefs wrapped around the fact that I happen to love firearms and the, and the shooting sports and all that. My core beliefs are just basically live free or die. Why should we have this overbearing government when that was what was never intended in the founding of this country? Right. So that's me in a nutshell. Very good. And so that almost sounds more like, because I, I, depending on different things you said, I, I thought, well, I'm not sure if he's more of a constitutionalist or a libertarian. There are some things you said that it sounded almost kind of anarchisty. Do you not really label it one way or the other? Or, or do you do you see yourself as one of, one, one of those things more than the others? Okay, so I first voted in like 98, I believe it was. Okay. And I was a registered Democrat. And then by the mid, early, early, mid 2000s, I was like, what the hell am I doing as far as my political preference? Right, right. So I immediately went independent. And from independent, I went libertarian. And from libertarian, I kind of went, I don't want to say anarchist, a pseudo anarchist. And now I'm like, government is all that is bad ever. Right, right, right. And and that, that proves itself through history. And, you know, then that's what this country is doing is trying to have a monolithic government of one party. And there's no point in history where you could point to me, point at and say to me that that worked. 
So yeah. that's where I, I'm kind of, I understand the need for government, but I just think it needs to be reinvented right now. Right. Yeah. So we aren't uh, opposed to using the word anarchist on the show. I actually am an anarchist. Um, I started as kind of a neocon, you know, Republican who wanted to go to war with, you know, everyone. And uh, over time, I sort of became more of a constitutionalist. And the more time I spent on it, I was kind of like you. I'm like, government's bad. All government's bad. You're centralizing power. Uh, it's it's essentially a, a monopoly on force that uses violence and theft to impose itself on everyone. And the idea that we're going to get any kind of, you know, good services from something from an arrangement like that is kind of foolish. So um, but I definitely agree. I mean, there's no there's no point of history in this country or any other where consolidation of power into one group is a good thing like that. That never actually ends well. Never. Right. So then. So what made you decide to start the other black guy who likes gun show? You started that what about two years ago, three years ago? Yeah, it was in 2017, I think March of 2017. And it actually came out of Guntraband. Um, This was a group of like-minded individuals that, you know, well, I don't even want to say we're like-minded because we fight literally all the time. That's kind (laughs) of why it doesn't exist in its uh, proper form aside from Facebook censorship. Right. But um, we all had a core belief in liberty, you know, there will always be cultural differences between different groups of people that right. can cause, I don't want to say animosity, but conflict. And it necessarily doesn't, I'm not talking about like violent conflict. I'm talking about more intellectual conflict because at the core of what we all believe is liberty. And um, my page spawned out of Gunterpan after it's originally split up and splintered off into the different, uh, you know, there's a, I'm not using, there was Dimitri, Paul, Chris, uh, Max, a whole bunch of guys that were, and, and it got pretty big. It was in almost a hundred something thousand followers and whatnot. And when that split up, I, I'm always, I've always been an independent minded person. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go ahead and make my own thing. And, you know, hopefully and we've been talking about it. Hopefully we can come back together because I believe we were like a liberty-minded Wu-Tang. And I mean that because we had all these different personalities that can right. give you all kinds of different angles. But at the end of the day, it always came back to the core of the subject matter, which is no government, live free. Right. And like Wu-Tang, it kind of fell apart because of personality clashes. Correct. Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of comes with the territory, right? So absolutely. So what would you say was your I mean, obviously, you're talking about guns a lot. But what is the main core message that you wanted to share when you decided to break off and do your own thing? My main core message is absolute liberty. And with that being said, I want people to understand that this is a republic and they hold the power. Right now. What we what we see today is a is a diversion from what this country was meant to be into this massive conglomerate of bullshit that's that's making our fellow Americans worship the government like right. as if the government is omnipotent like they can do no wrong and my core belief is the government should fear us right right and and that we hold the power and we give them the 
we give them the liberty to to do our business as as for the common good, which is very it should be very limited in scope. And that's what my main focus is. It's it's bringing the Constitution to life into common sense and colorful terms and with a slight comedic value, but I'm always dead serious in, in what I say, and it, there's no threats. There's no threats of violence. There's nothing like that. I'm not right, trying to right. overthrow the government. Right, Disclaimer. But what I'm trying to say is when you look at your government, you should have certain expectations. And if those expectations aren't met, then you need to flex your muscle. And that doesn't mean, uh, you know, taking this bowl of diarrhea soup next to your shit sandwich and interchanging them to see which one you're going to eat first. Right, right. And it's it's difficult, right? Because, you know, I'm used to people on the left, you know, progressives and liberals that are talking about, you know, the common good, but not meaning the common good is in who we choose to associate with, but the common good is in all 325 million Americans as decided by an overbearing government or talking about how, you know, uh, we need to be, you know, told what things we can and can't do to, you know, to keep us safe or, or to, you know, to keep us protected or whatever that, you know, no one needs guns like that. But I'm increasingly seeing that coming from conservatives or I guess rather Republicans as well. And it's not the first time that's happened, but it's kind of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, I'm disconcerted to watch people who usually will talk about the Second Amendment and how important it is and how it's used to fight against tyranny. And then, you know, the second it's a Republican saying, you know, we're going to take your guns without due process and, you know, you probably shouldn't have a gun like that. And you definitely don't need a bump stock, even though bump stocks are garbage. But the fact that they're even telling you, you you shouldn't have one or a silencer or a suppressor or whatever. All of a sudden, now that it's a Republican doing it, they're like, oh, no, no, well, no, that's a fine. He's just trying to keep us safe. Yeah. Well, as you may know, I live behind enemy lines when you talk about tyrannical <laughs> governments in California. Right, 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 right. And we just had a couple of bas- uh, anti-Second Amendment ballot measures in 2016 that passed with 63. There was two of them. The main ones I'm talking about passed with 63 and 65% of the vote. Right. California, surprisingly enough, people may be shocked by this. Only about 35% of Californians uh, regist- are registered Democrats. Right. And there's about 25% uh, Republican. And the rest, which is a sizable portion, are registered independents. Now, taking those two numbers, we know that a sizable portion of Republicans voted for those anti-2A measures, which was um, getting rid of... because. You could still own a 30-round, a standard-capacity magazine in California if you had bought it before the year 2000. But they went back and said those grandfathers, those grandfathered magazines um, are now illegal. And that oh, wow. was like 63% of Californians voted in favor of that. Right. Then the second one was about the assault, uh, another assault weapons ban, and about 65% of Californians voted for that. So we have a sizable portion of Republicans vote for those anti-2A measures. And with that, 
it, it is clear that there is no defining trait between the two parties when it comes to the Second Amendment that I could point to and say those guys are pro uh, Second Amendment because they're just not. You've seen it from the highest echelons of our government currently all right. the way down where they're coming in, in favor of red flag laws. Right. You know, and and, they, and then they sit here and complain about people making salacious comments about them that will trigger such red flag laws for the person involved. And I, that just sounds like a recipe for abuse. Oh, of course. So I'm not, yeah. So, it, you know, when it comes to Democrat and Republican, and I really don't see an astounding difference between either brand, whereas I would put my trust in the Second Amendment with either one of them because they're going to go where the wind blows them. No, absolutely. I, I used to say there's no difference between Republican politicians and Democrat politicians. And for the most part, I still I, I still agree with that. I now say there's not much difference between Republican voters and Democrat voters. When I saw um, what's that schmuck's name? Um, there's a lot of schmucks out there. No, I know. I know. That's why that's why it's not helping. Um, he's the, Gavin Newsom. He's a schmuck. No, 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 no. Oh, he, no, he's definitely schmuck. No, um, Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, when he oh, was. Yeah, he's a- so when he was saying, I'm going to throw you down the stairs because the guy was calling him Frito or whatever, <laughs> you know, listen, I, I mean, it wasn't his best moment, but also like if I'm with my family and kids and someone's giving me a hard time, I'm not sure I'm going to threaten to throw him down the stairs, but I actually kind of respected that he did that. All that to say, I what, absolutely respected that. What, and, and whether you did or not, the sheer number of Republicans, including the president, who either suggested or outright said, yeah, he should be red flagged and not allowed to own weapons. And I'm like, how quick are you to give up everything to the state because, like, someone said something mean? Like, for the group of people that's constantly talking about triggered snowflakes, you sure awfully got triggered awful fast by a guy who, you know, showed a little testosterone when he was being challenged in front of his kids. Yeah, uh, that was the moment because I'm not a big Chris Cuomo fan and right. I flip between the channels, the the main media channels for uh, entertainment value, material right. research and right, right, stuff right. like that. Right. So I've seen Cuomo before and I've seen him get testy. But when he actually did that, I got to be honest, I was like, he nutted up pretty hard on that dude. I thought it was about to come to blows. I respect I that because he wasn't backing down. And at the end of the day, the only thing that that motivates me to to maintain the Second Amendment and the rest of the Constitution as well is the people that I'm going to expect to be behind me, which is my family. Now, I always, I always um, mention this fact to, to people who say, well, why do you need this? Why do you need that? Um, you remember Hurricane Katrina? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the government had a two-week warning that Hurricane Katrina was coming. Right. And the governmental response to that disaster, I mean, you couldn't rate it more than a D minus and in probably an F, right? Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. So the city of New Orleans at the time, it had the same population base as the city of Long Beach out here in Southern California, which is a, it was like 380 some thousand people or whatever. And, 85% of those people got out of Dodge. I'm horrible with math, so I don't know how many people are left, but that's, it's still a kind of a shit ton of people. Right, right, right. Tens of thousands of people are still there. Yeah. yeah. So with the 
with a warning and the ability to stage materials and whatnot and to bring in relief as only the United States can, the governmental response to that was piss poor. Now, my area, the, the four-county area, Los Angeles, San Bernardino, Riverside, and Orange County, is roughly 15 million people. We're not going to get any type of warning whatsoever when our big earthquake hits us and knocks down more than half the buildings, right. causes fire, tremendous right, right, right. damage to the infrastructure. People won't be able to get around, move, or anything like that. Right. How's the government going to come and protect my family for an extended period of time, minus martial law, uh, with no warning, when they could even do a half-assed job, less than a half-assed job in New Orleans? With, so, with with days of, of forewarning, because I, I live in a, a hurricane area. They know days yeah. ahead of time. Days. For certain. Days. I mean, they know weeks ahead of time that it might hit you, and they know pretty much at least three or four days ahead of time that it's absolutely going to at least graze you. Yeah. Um, and 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 the way that they handled that as this thing came straight at them at slow in slow-mo without ever veering – um, like you said, they, yeah. they had they all, and all they could do was I remember that the you know the, the National Guard came in and just started seizing everyone's guns, which then led to more looting because now they knew no one had any guns. Precisely, and then you know I'm looking at it like this: I'm a bit of a I'm not a I wouldn't call myself a prepper, I'm more of a urban prepper because a real prepper would be able to like get to the woods or be in the woods relatively quickly. And my woods are probably impossible to get to considering I'd have to go through 50,000 people to get to where I would be out. I'm, I'm more of an, an urban area. Right. So for me to like sit back and consider, okay, what if the government does do martial law? Nobody right. on the streets. What's to stop homies from jumping the fences from house to house out of the view of the law enforcement. And and then even with the law enforcement, they're going to be protecting the limited supplies that are going to be locally in every jurisdiction. Oh, of course. That's where their mass is going to be. So well, for mean, them in, to, to in, like deliver our safety, like we're taking your safety from you. I just don't believe in that shit. In the best of conditions, they can't keep you safe. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert in crime in, 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 you know, LA, but I, I know that, you know, there are some crime issues there and other places, Chicago, yeah. New Orleans is another one. There are parts of, you know, Myrtle beach that are sketchy. Like they, they, they can't keep us safe when it's, you know, partly cloudy out. So what, what's it, how are they going to do that when there's, you know, hurricanes and everything else? So no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And of course, obviously the, the purpose of the right to keep and bear arms is not just home defense against you know private sector people it's you know and you have to be careful how you talk about this but ultimately it's to keep anyone who would try to harm you in check and that's another thing about you know with conservatives that it's like you know progressives will get that the state is you know the biggest abuser of people out there but then they want the state to grow bigger you know conservatives tend to talk about fighting against tyranny but then when you give them actual examples I mean, I saw some conservatives that were out here the last couple of weeks defending a cop who broke into someone else's apartment and shot him while he ate ice cream. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, she had a long day. I'm like, you would never if this had been 
and I'll say it, if this has been a black guy going into a white cop's house and go, oh, I'm in the wrong house. Oh, I think this is my house. I'm going to shoot this white woman. They would have never been okay with that. But make it a cop and an immigrant, and, and now suddenly it's a bad – now suddenly they're defending literally a cop busting into someone's house and killing them. How could you pledge – so you, how could you pledge allegiance to this country – and at the same time, allow the government to kill a citizen in cold blood and be okay with that. How could you be okay with your, your government killing a fellow citizen yeah. that by all accounts, there was not one deviation from this man's character that he had any kind of ill No, no, no. in our society, that he did anything wrong. Now, originally, they tried to say he had weed or something. Yeah. And, like, okay. I was like, here we go. Yep. yep. But I was, um, you know, and, and they brought down the, the verdict and the sentencing uh, in the last 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I was shocked as hell that they got him on murder. I thought for sure it would be manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, or negligent yeah, yeah. homicide. Yep. But... For her to get 10 years, mind you, my understanding, but I've read differently, but my current understanding is on murder, there is no possibility of parole. So if she does, does that 10 years strong, it's going to be hell on her because her chosen profession, when she gets in there, she'll have to be in uh, probably protective custody from day one. Yeah, I would think so. 10 years because you are tired. Uh, and you're sitting here sexting your your partner, right? You know, I, I always say that you know there there's some female cops you could look at. I call them pass arounds because I have friends that are uh, in law enforcement, and there's these certain female cops that absolutely adore the company of their fellow officers off duty and sometimes right. on duty. And she was a classic example of one of those female cops that, you know, morally is quite questionable. But for her excuse and and whatnot, and for them to try to justify this murder of a United States citizen in cold blood and and misrepresent the facts, because they're trying to say he charged at her or was coming towards her when the trajectory of the bullet that went into his heart was a downward trajectory he was six foot she was five three that had to be some naratu or naratu that the enemy type of deal where she jumped up and shot she him jumped up and like got that. him yeah yeah yeah. street fighter yeah no he yeah. obviously was sitting down and i and and or crouched down and the whole i mean so the thing with so watching people who will talk about fighting tyranny and then they worship the police They'll say something. They'll trip me out. They'll say something like, "Nancy Pelosi, I've got something for you if you come to take my guns." And I'm like, "Nancy Pelosi isn't leaving her house." Beto no. O'Rourke, who I cannot stand, is not yeah. leaving his like, you know, freaking, you know, uh, soccer mom van or whatever he drives around. Like, he's not. They're not coming anywhere near you. It's the police that you worship 
who are going to be the ones kicking down your door and fully expecting you to comply. You know, we've already seen in uh, uh, in uh, in Maryland and another state, something like 11 people have already gotten killed enforcing these red flag laws. So it's one thing to say, oh, you know, give give you know cops a chance. I, I'm not against the police or whatever. But you can't constantly give them a benefit of the doubt when they're the ones whose job it is. All the stuff you hate about government, every politician you absolutely hate would be completely powerless and toothless if there weren't people who were enforcing their laws against you using whatever level of force is necessary to bring you into compliance. And and that's just the sad reality of the conservative movement is that they literally think it's going to be somebody else. It's going to be these soy latte drinking hippie type guys are going to come up to to their house. Right, right. Hey, give me your guns. Yeah. You know, and it, it's a real sad reality that they're so blinded. You know, they they literally call us the sheep. They're the sheep dogs and everybody's bad is the wolf. Yep. They literally call us sheep. And not only conservatives, but liberals just fall right into the flock and say they are our protectors. Yep. Now. My dad was a cop for a little bit of a time. Literally, my best friend's a cop, and I have tons of cop friends from my coaching circles and and whatnot. There's one constant when people say cops protect you. You have to call them. And once you call them, it's usually after you've already been assaulted or robbed or stolen or whatever. So how did they protect you? I don't know one person on this on God's green earth that has gotten their property back after it was stolen out of their car or home. When you've gotten assaulted by somebody who mugged you on the streets, you don't get your property back 80% of the time. Right. So for this worshiping, there is a necessity for law enforcement. I, I firmly believe that. But I also believe that government is the creator of crime. You know, a classic example is that of the drug war. If you empty yep. the prison, all the prisons of everybody who's in there for drug crimes, it would somewhere be like somewhere between 60 and 75% of the yep. entire prison population in this country. Yep. And if it was a simple possession, what harm has come to anybody that you could prove to justify the sentencing of somebody who willfully wishes to ingest whatever their chosen chosen uh, uh inoculate is so to speak right, right. whatever they want to whatever they want to toast off to what's that as long as you don't cross that line once you cross that line you, you know it's a different set of circumstances but if you're peacefully injecting or ingesting whatever drug you choose why is it any of mine or your concern right exactly exactly and the thing is you know Especially in the future when, you know, weed's going to be legal very soon and and we'll probably end up seeing, you know, like that, like they're doing in Europe where they're decriminalizing most or all drugs. And that would be that'll be great. But at the same time, you'll have to talk to people who had most or, you know, large parts of their lives stolen from them, put in cages because they were engaging in commerce that was 
I mean, forget the fact that you have the CIA bringing the drugs in and, and the, the U.S. military protecting poppy fields in Afghanistan. Putting all that aside, you have people that engaged in voluntary commerce who had their lives destroyed, and it's probably going to end up being legal in the future anyway. So the, the, the whole thing is, is absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, it, 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 conservatives to me seem like they're constantly, you know, progressives are constantly progressing forward how much more they want the government to have but conservatives seem to at the same time constantly moving their goalposts too it's like conservatives will draw a line in the sand and say don't you dare cross this line progressives will immediately cross that line and then conservatives will step out ahead of them and cross a new line and go don't you dare cross this line and it's like whatever conservatives were fighting against 15 20 years ago they're now fighting to preserve for future generations social security medicare uh, even a lot of them now, you know, are talking about how, you know, we need to have stricter, uh, you know, immigration restrictions so that we can preserve the welfare system for, for future generations. I'm like, I thought y'all were against all this. Like what, what, when did you become in favor of gun control and welfare and, and, you know, uh, uh, the government having control of all these different things and, and the federal reserve and everything else. It's like, they're constantly progressing too. Yeah. Well, it's the, um, I think it partially that is the the nine eleven effect, mm. where the government portrayed itself as your only buffer between these guys that ride magic carpets <laughs> and uh, just basic safety, your your, right. your, your basic safety. Um, once I mean, because now we throw throw around the term hero oh, God, as yeah. a, a deity, and you automatically get hero status by signing your name on a paper to throw away your particular constitutional rights and liberties to serve the government. And right. no matter what capacity, whether it be law enforcement or military, or whatever, or otherwise. Right. Right. Now we automatically consider them heroes. Like after, I remember after that El Paso shooting, everybody's like, we need to praise the heroes that showed up and, and captured a guy who actually stopped shooting already called 911 and surrendered. We need to praise them for their response. And I was like, first of all, the the first response has to come from you because ultimately you are in charge of your safety. These right. people want you to pat them on the back, but they don't want to be held responsible for anything. Just like that, that parent that sued the Parkland, um, the Parkland sheriff for running out of the school when yeah. the dude was uh, and the court reaffirmed that Supreme court decision where yep. they have no duty to protect you. Right. Yet they want to disarm you. They want you to follow these guidelines and rules. But if somebody else decides to stray outside of these civil norms, so to speak, you're on your own until we get there. And then, from that point forward, we have no further responsibility to you or your family. But you know what? You don't need to own that particular type of firearm that I'm carrying to protect you if I show up in time. That's, I mean. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and we are our own first responders. It's one thing to say, man, you know, these firefighters that, you know, ran into the burning buildings on 9-11 or any other disaster. Absolutely. Are they heroes? Absolutely. It's another thing to say any person who is a part of law enforcement, the military, firefighters, if you work in the government, you're all heroes. All of you are heroes. Well, automatically. 
just an automatic hero. I had a, a friend who was in the military who had served in the military during Iraq, and, and they were like, people would say, oh, thank you for your service. You're such a hero. And he'd say, I mostly taught dance lessons. Like, you know, like, I, he, I, like we weren't really doing much there, and, and so I would teach uh, Latin dance lessons. And, and, they were, and they would still be like, yeah, but you were teaching it to our heroes. I'm like, he was a dance instructor. Like, and there's nothing wrong with being a dance instructor, but that's not exactly hero status necessarily. Um, I'm going to go through some of these comments because we have a lot of them. Um, Sweet. So a lot of questions about Maj Touré, so we'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh, someone said when the president uh, – Hampy Yaunt said when the president is a Republican, everybody's a raging liberal. Um, Nick Perez said shouts out from the Bay Area. Um, hyphy uh, movement. What's that? I said the hyphy movement, Bay Area, yay area. Okay. The homies My bad. Just let's keep flowing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Yitz Ryder was talking about the um, sentencing. Said ten years was not nearly enough, especially when there are those doing life for nonviolent offenses. Exactly. Uh, Chris Reynolds, uh, personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, says uh, Beta work will jump on your dining room table. Um, uh, yeah, but then yeah, he he jumps on your table, but then he crouches down so that he looks. You know, he's at your level. Which why did you get on the table? Um, Michael Ritz says, uh, red flag laws also put the officers lives whom these people worship in danger. That's true. Um, Completely. uh, Yitz writer says, uh, there may be a need for law enforcement, but there's no reason we can't privatize it. Yes. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, and then a bunch of yeses. Uh, oh, Chris Reynolds says most Trump Republicans aren't conservatives by definition. They're authoritarian, moderate, and sometimes liberals. Yeah. Except the, the term conservative they seem keep moving the goalpost like a conservative 100 years ago would be called an anarchist now so i'm not i'm not anyway uh michael ritz says i fixed trucks at fort bragg's for four years i'm a veteran hero thank you for your heroic veteran service of fixing trucks michael um so uh so uh marcus uh where are we go okay so as i had mentioned before you aren't just a uh, an insightful political pundit you're also a very talented singer uh let's hear some of let's let's uh let's let's hear uh, some of that right now on the boats and on the planes they come into america never looking back again they come into america i want to fly like an eagle till i'm free Oh Lord, through the revolution, he never made the beat twice. Uh, 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 do almost anything that you want me to do. Yeah, but I can't go for that. No, it's my life. Don't you forget to see. The Lord who is learning to pray. It's gonna take some time to do the things we never had. Tu tienes mucha razón. Le hago caso al corazón. Y mi muere por Me, 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 me
again. I'll go sailing. No more sailing. So long sailing. Bye-bye sailing. Move on now, Captain. <laughs> Marcus, how cheated do you feel? How cheated do you feel by the recording industry that you aren't a platinum selling artist? You know, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's cause in my, uh, twenties, I was in a hip hop band and I bullshit you not. We came about that close to getting signed by delicious vinyl. Oh, wow. And I actually have performed for crowds of over 5,000 people. I've opened for Wu Tang, the roots, um, there's, uh, there's a few other guys. I'm not here kissing anybody's ass or sh- shot calling or whatever, but like, it's always been a passion of mine to entertain the people. And for me not being recognized for my talents, it's ridiculous. It, it's, it's, it's almost blasphemy Yeah, that this God given talent yeah. has not been fully recognized. And I'm glad you brought this up. It, okay. it is it is truly offensive to me, and I'm not easily offended that my singing videos do not have less than, I mean, it should be a million views a piece. Yeah, honestly, no, that is the that is, it, I mean, it's scientific fact that my talent is is the primary reason the Earth turns. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely an objective. Oh, no, there we go. I didn't realize it would do. That. I didn't. I didn't know it would start doing that again. Um. So, uh, no, it's absolutely an objective fact that you're one of, if not the most talented singers I've ever seen. Uh, we got, and okay. we've gotten, we've gotten quite a few uh, comments here. Uh, uh, Michael Ritz says, "Voice of an angel." Uh, Chris yeah. says, uh, "Chris Reynolds says I like this mixtape." Philip Pruneda says, "A hundred times better than Miley Cyrus," um, or 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 Billy Ray Cyrus. Let's be clear. Um, yeah. Chris Reynolds says, "Spitting hot fire." Um, Jacob LaBelle, this dude, uh, yeah. And we've got a few more, uh, hearts and, and, uh, smiley faces. So you, uh, you definitely are a hit with Muddy Waters crowd. Um, so, um, we'll be putting out when you, when you release your album, when you drop your album, let me know and we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I got you. Okay, good. Um, so speaking of which, uh, this is as good a time as any for me to, to plug something. So this is my halfway through the show show plug. Hey, gang, are you thinking of starting a podcast? Well, I hope to hell you are because Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Why, they even have creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Now, I know what you're thinking, friend. No minimum listenership. Great day in the morning. Well, you're damn right. And you'll have a great day in the morning, too. If you go to anchor.fm or download the Anchor app today and get started podcasting, do not wait or do wait until this show is over. Do not leave the show to start. Start this doing that immediately after the show is over, not a second before. Um, so, Marcus... On one of your recent videos, you said, and I quote, where California goes, the nation goes. And that scared the hell out of me, uh, mostly because I immediately recognized it to be true. Tell us what you meant when you said that. Well, if you look at a lot of these laws that you have on the books around the nation, 
um, like seatbelt laws, right. uh, bike helmet laws, uh, vaccination laws. The the fact that California represents a very sizable student population, so whatever California puts it in its curriculum, a vast number of states have to buy that same book because the the publisher is going to print so many copies and whatnot. Right. So when you look at what we do here in California, the cell phone laws, a lot of the gun laws, um, those tend to spread and they tend to spread rather quickly. Right. So when people laugh at California, you know, I, I've been on gun forums and whatnot for a long time. When they, when they look at our laws and they laugh at us, I was like, Hey man, how about you join the fight? And then they're like, screw California, blah, blah, blah. And then fail to realize these California lawmakers are usually going uh, through these stepping stones through state politics to going into federal politics. Right. And they're bringing those ideas with them to the federal level. There will be a day where these jackass Democrats hold both houses and the presidency. That yeah. will happen without a doubt oh, yeah. within yeah. the next 10 to, 10 to 20 years, probably about three to four times. Right. Now, all the laws that you weren't willing to fight with us on, that you weren't willing to support our battle, those will be coming to a federal level. And you can already see that because guess where Nancy Pelosi is from? Right. Yep, the Bay Area. And and I mean, they're grooming Gavin Newsom. I don't think he'll make it, but I, they're, they're trying to groom Gavin Newsom for, for federal office. Um, uh, no other than the former before Trump came and became the Republican hero, the Republican hero was Ronald Reagan. No other than Ronald Reagan as California governor in response to scary black men carrying guns outside, uh, passed, uh, the laws against open carry in California. It was all triggered by, you know, white Democrats like, uh, uh Ronald Reagan, who, yeah. uh, so, cause he was, a, he was a Democrat at the time, uh, who said we have to, uh, you know, stop basically black people from carrying guns outside because of the black Panthers. And so now there's no more open carry in California. There are, and, and that carried on into other places. He ended up becoming president as president. He advocated for assault weapons bans, uh, which ended up becoming law in 1994. Thankfully that expired in 04, but it's not just one party or the other. It's like you said, California is sort of a trendsetter, uh, not just, uh, politically but socially so much of of pop culture comes out of california um and then it's uh it's also the fact that when you're such a big economic powerhouse you can drive smaller states into things um i heard recently that um so uh you guys have the strictest regulations on how your gas is refined and so when these refineries will make gasoline to complete to comply with the different states in order for it to comply with California regulations, they have to actually empty out the tanks and let them dry for something like 24 hours in, in, in an industry where they're, you know, per, you know, measuring how much, how many, you know, tens of thousands of barrels they can refine in an hour. They have to let it completely dry out all day long so that they can produce California gas. So there's actually pressure from the refineries on smaller States for them to also adopt those same California uh, restrictions so that they can, you know, not have to keep it emptied out as long and just keep using the California restrictions. So, and I'm sure that works its way, school books, every other thing. So the people that, you know, the people whose plan for California is to hope that it, you know, sinks into the ocean, uh, you know, is they're not, they're not addressing the reality of the fact that California is kind of dragging the rest of the world, the rest of the country with it. 
No, and and that's what's really, really sad that we are all interconnected, but we refuse to understand that these things don't have to happen if the republic sticks together as a republic. Right. And we fail to understand that the people are the power because that sounds like some socialist rhetoric. Right. You fail to understand what this republic was always been about. And and it's sad. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't even know if we can ever recover from this because, you know, you, you, you brought up the term like automatic hero. Can we have semi-automatic heroes? Is that, a, <laughs> would that be legal or illegal? So, hey, um, apparently my son had this laptop. I'm about to plug in my charger real quick. Okay. Um, stand by. Uh, can we go to a break real quick? My bad. Sure, no problem. I'll just keep talking. You do whatever you need to do. Um, stand by. So I will go through some of the comments while you're while you're away. Um, uh, Chris Reynolds, what? No minimum listenership. Chris, personal injury attorney. Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. That is correct. You heard correctly. No minimum listenership with Anchor. Anchor.fm. Be sure to go to Anchor.fm or download the Anchor app today. Uh, Chris also said uh, Texas will flip eventually. That's I. It could very well happen. I was very surprised to see um, how um, how uh, how close Beto O'Rourke got. Although supposedly. Uh, California expats were more likely to vote for Cruz, but I don't know how accurate that was. Um, Chris also said, at least Nancy um, Reagan brought that great just say no policy. Worked perfectly. I actually, one of my favorite uh, shirts to wear when I was high was my my dare shirt, my just say no shirt. Still have them. Um, uh, Chris Reynolds said, sing Spike. Absolutely not. Ever. Uh, never. Um, a, a shout out from Don Gotti. Um, and uh, what else do we have here? How you doing, homie? Give me a call. That's my Don. that's my guy, Don Gotti. Oh, okay, cool. He's one of my uh, IRL friends. He's one of your IRL friends. Cool. Um, so, so Mark is a little bit of a change of of uh, subject here because you mentioned it in one of your more recent videos. I grew like you. I grew up on rap, hip hop, and R and B. Wu Tang, Naughty by Nature, Isley Brothers, Nas, Shot Eight. tribe called quest all of that like that was that was me i was the white kid that listened to black music in south carolina which you can imagine the names i was called but that that was me um i was also the only jew but that's a whole other subject um but anyway uh i can't even listen to the garbage that is coming out now um i don't consider it that calls itself it's the same stations i used to listen to and it had I like I can't even replicate it. It calls itself hip hop and R and B. It is utter garbage. Who is to blame for this, and how do we punish them? Well, that's I, I think it goes to um, unfortunately. It kind of started with Outkast opening the door nationwide to the Southern experience, and then Little John came in and he ruled the scene for an extended period of time. Right. And then Cash Money also had a lot to do with this. And, you know, hip-hop, it, it usually would gravitate between West Coast and East Coast. Right, and, you know, right. somebody's hot over here, somebody's hot over there. The Outkast came and opened up a new front, so to speak, in this war. Okay. And with that, you know, the natural evolution of, because, you know, Little John was all about that rowdy stuff, that headbuster. Right, right, right. And then 
and then it kind of like like just this it didn't evolve it, it devolved yeah it devolved yeah into this gutter music where a lot of these guys their cadence is so predictable my and my son listens to this shit and i'm like oh my god yeah dude that's the same guy we've been listening to the same where we listen to his album and he's like no we've listened to like 10 different dudes and i'm like no way those were 10 different dudes because it it sounded precisely the same with the same beat rhythm the same cadence in their delivery because you know I was, I you know, Wu-Tang was a major influence in my life, but I go right. all the way back to, like, I thought I was Big Daddy Kane growing up because oh, Big I Daddy was a Kane. operator. Big Daddy Kane, Big Daddy yeah. Kane moved everyone out of the whole boom bap thing into, like, this right. newer, like, what we know as, like, late 80s, 90s rap. He started all of that. Yeah, I, I firmly believe, like, my homeboys um, – you know, there's this group called Lexicon, and they they were recently they were really big in Europe. But uh, it's it's two Jewish kids, and we used to hang out and have these long discussions about hip hop and where it was going back in the um, early 2000s. And we kind of predicted its fall when when you know because we were really they had a song called Nike Heads, and we were really into Air Force Ones. And then Nelly made a song about. Uh, oh, Air, Air Force, Force One, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we all like we like collectively looked at each other and said it's over, and that was <laughs> another contributor to the downfall. You know, I'm not hating on them because they got their their money, they did their things, they were pop, they were popular, and I can dig it, but nobody ever sees the repercussions. It's like government; government's going to go in there with the best of intentions and just fuck it all up, and it's all shit and garbage now. And that's the same thing with a lot of these guys did with their hip hop music, they went in there with the best of intentions, but it just spawned a lot of garbage following that. So that's a very interesting hot take. I think this is the first time I've ever heard someone blame dirty South music for what we have now, which I, I, I have to, I take some personal offense just cause I also grew up on beats by the pound cash money, master P mystical, all of that. And I get what, so I get what you're saying. Cause I, I kind of get it, especially with like cash money. And when air force ones came out, that definitely was not a song that I like in retrospect, that song is head and shoulders above anything else. That's like, like honestly, <laughs> yeah, the only, the only new artists I like are ones who are replicating nineties and two thousands music. So like Griselda, anything from Griselda, um, mm-hmm. uh, action Bronson, these, but these are all people using, Bronson. These are all people using that. Leave it to a Jew to try to bring it back to something nice. But uh, <laughs> these are all people trying to replicate that almost, I guess, that Big Daddy Kane cadence of of music and and getting out of that like the and like and then they're like dressing like I mean, if you want to dress in a dress or whatever, fine. But then you're like calling yourself a thug, but you're wearing a dress and you've got a gun, but you're sucking on a pacifier. Like I just I don't. It's very androgynous, and that was yeah. like I was a kid. I was a young kid in the eighties, and that was the kind of the style. Anywhere from hair metal to R and B, it was very androgynous, and you, you just kind of like wondered about everybody, and we're like, you know what, screw it. I but think that's why Generation but- X had the first open attitude towards uh, gay people, is because we grew up looking at all these images like, okay, is that a dude or a chick? Uh, you know what? I don't even have time for this. 
I'm playing Super Mario Brothers on my Nintendo. Like, and I'm talking about the old school Nintendo, like the, oh, yeah, the, the NES. Yeah, know, the NES. Sega yeah. Genesis and all that. Nintendo 64, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, and I'm not dissing the South per se, you know, because my family roots are in Alabama. Right. But, you know, the the musics, and, and this is not because I believe the Outcasts are an epic world-class Hall of Fame type of uh, a music group. I, right. I love Outcasts. Right, right. But you know what? You cannot copy an original. You're going to spawn off. And uh, what Americans generally like is they like what appeals to the lowest common denominator in yeah. general, so to right. speak, right. on just about everything from politics, music, culture. They want to go to that lowest common denomin- denominator. And and for a lot of hip-hop, that's the... Because I, I honestly believe, and I'm going to catch shit for this, I honestly believe hip-hop has been detrimental to the black community in, in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, because this uh, pervasive attitude towards violence, unnecessary violence, because I'm a firm believer in violence. But, you know, when it's violence because somebody looked at you the wrong way or stepped on your shoe or said something, that, that's, that's unnecessary violence that just simply doesn't need to happen. And when you have all those guys, because I, I remember that one song, I'm a head buster, and I was like, dang, dude, I know what happens after the club when guys have ingested that song two, three times combined yep. with some cognac. Yep. 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 And, and and it, it is tense because, like, I was talking to my, my daughter yesterday. I was like, when I was in school, you know, we would fight. we go head up. And typically that was the end of it. But, like, as I got into my 20s, fools would fight and they would go head up in the club. And then you would have to, like, low crawl through the parking lot to get out because it was just like a war zone. People would just start letting off. Right, right. And And now it's it's letting off in the club. I mean, it's, it's like, skip the fisticuffs. Let's just go to just start the, shooting the each other. Yeah. 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 And that's what a lot of hip hop glorifies. And I think it's unfortunate in that sense. And, you know, keep in mind, I grew up listening to NWA. Right. And I could recite just about every single song word for word. Just play me the beat and I'll do the whole damn song. Right. And, um, if you really listen to NWA's first album, you it's it's a kind it's anti-violence and anti-drugs because they're telling you if you do X, Y, and Z, you're gonna end up like this particular guy or that particular guy. You know, that's like the theme song, that's the theme to Dope Man. And if you listen to Dope Man from the front to the end, right. they're telling you do that. Go work at the post office. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I was the white kid that would listen to gangster rap music on my way to like, you know, okay. yeah, but I, but you know, on my way to like, cause I, I had a website design company that I started when I was a kid. And, and so, you know, I go on, on my way to meet my client and I'm listening to, you know, flip mode squad or whatever the hell was on there, <laughs> master P or whatever. And, you know, the angriest music and then get out of the car, like, Hey everybody. So, um, I, I actually read an interesting thing about this since we were talking about cultural stuff that part of the reason that there is the level of, of violence over, like you were saying, silly stuff like scuff shoes and things like that is that coming out of slavery, segregation, all of those things that there was such a, um, 
uh, I guess, a, a scarcity of respect for people, especially men in the black community, that any perceived disrespect would would be more likely to set them off because they weren't being respected in any other aspect of, of their lives or in society at large. And so they, unlike me, if someone disrespects me more often than not, I'm like, ah, whatever, I don't really care unless it's like you're really like trying to like harm me or my family or especially if you're insulting someone I care about. But me, I'm like, I'll probably just laugh it off. But I also haven't dealt with a level of being disrespected on a societal level. Do you think there's anything to that? I think there's a lot to that. Now, an interesting factoid about me um, is I belong to the first generation of black Americans. I don't, I, I fucking hate the term African-Americans, by the way. Okay. I'm the first generation of black Americans that didn't grow up under slavery or Jim Crow. My father oh, yeah. and mother graduated from high school in 1968 in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, um, wow. And that was, that was the height of the, the stuff. So there was there was a cultural element that was where where we, when we were under Jim Crow were and I, I dislike using this term but it's the only one I could think of a common enemy which was the government that sanctioned apartheid Jim Crow uh, uh, social engineering right and from that point forward when once we were relieved of that. Um, the next step with the government undertook, and, it, and it's been a documented fact by one of the chief architects of the uh, the war on drugs. The Nixon administration uh, brought about the war on drugs to extend the Jim Crow era policies of the United States government. Right. And that in itself combined with the social engineering of uh, the do-gooder liberals by putting all these poor people and this condensed housing right. combined with poor education, combined with over-policing, combined with the welfare state, whereas the father, if he was in the home, you wouldn't receive these benefits. So you actually had to either hide your dad or your dad couldn't live with you because you wouldn't see these benefits. But at the same time, you're not in the position to advance yourself economically because your education was subpar. Right. You know, there's a lot of mitigating factors that we, we have to look at to see the disposition of the black community. And, you know, they, they, uh, I, I am a constant peruser of, of websites like Stormfront and these, all these uh, far right websites. Cause I, I like to hear yeah. their opinion. Yeah, I think their too. opinion is, needs to be heard. Yep. needs to be validated in, in the sense that, they had their chance to prove or, or display their point of view based on their beliefs, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Of course. Of course. But you know, when they say they blame a culture, I was like, what culture are you talking about? When did black people have a culture in this country that was aimed at prosperity and, and bringing about a, a, a mending into this society on equal terms. And they say, well, I don't know. And I was like, well, yes, there was. There was a 10-year period after uh, this civil war that extended into the early 1900s, actually. Um, so it was a little bit more than 10 years, but there was a, there was like, we, we call it like the glory, glory area, that 10-year period where black communities were some of the most prosperous in America. Yep. Uh, if you were to Google race riots of the 1890s to like the 1920s, 
you will see what happened to most of those communities. They were destroyed. Yep. And then that was further propagated with Jim Crow going into the war on drugs, which has not ended because one of the few things Obama did that I was like, all right, you're, you you did something good, was the 10 to 1 ratio. There was 10 years to one year for crack cocaine to powder cocaine, meaning if ounce for ounce, if you had one ounce of crack and one ounce of powder cocaine, you would get 10 years for that crack and one year for that powdered cocaine. Right. And that's an obvious discrepancy in the law for obvious reasons for anybody who understands the United States judicial system. Right, exactly. And it was those type of things. And I'm not blaming it on that because I, I think it's primarily education. Because I work in the field of education. This is my last point. I work in the field of education. And every year we have to do an audit of our schools by the county because of a lawsuit that happened many years ago. Whereas... The, the county goes into your schools and makes sure every student has a safe and clean classroom environment and school environment. Right. They have all the materials prescribed by the curriculum in the state of California, and they have everything they need for a, uh, the educational process. That lawsuit was spurned on the fact that the, uh, it was, I, I don't know if it was Los Angeles Unified, but some parents from the Southern California area school sued their school district because their schools were run down while the schools in the wealthier, more affluent neighborhoods were, were kept and all the materials were present. Right. Right. So when you look at where the black community fails, the number one place is the most basic of educations to me. <laughs> right. Yep. No, absolutely. And I mean, when you see this pervasive idea that, although I've noticed it gets fought back, against more and more but i remember growing up at least when you would have a black person that would move down from the north and they would talk more like me than like the other southern black people there and they would all say why are you talking white and i will say i've noticed in the last few years there's been real pushback against the idea that there's such a thing as you know talking black or talking white but when i was growing up that was like the thing if you didn't talk a certain way and so you had black people from up north who talked more like this than i did who were intentionally trying to talk black so that they wouldn't be given such a hard time in school. Um, so it, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. But um, anyway, I, uh, no, I want to go ahead. That literally is what happened to me when I went to college in Alabama. Oh, I'm sure. Like, they, they were like, why do you talk so proper? <laughs> it's crazy stuff. It is. It is crazy yeah. stuff. So we had some interesting uh, follower questions um, uh, that I want to, uh, go over with you. Um, one Proceed. was, uh, so one was you're the other black guy who likes guns. Who, who was, so there was actually a debate here between who was the, I guess, first black guy the who black. likes guns. Um, the, like the black guy. And it, it was kind of a battle between Maj Touré and Colion Noir. And, but I think it's Colion Noir, right? Correct. Yeah. That's who I, uh, are the other two. It was actually, uh, my friend Dimitri. Because I originally named it the Matthew Show, and he was like, "No," because every time we would have these debates on Gunter Band, um, they would call me uh, uh, the more radical Colion Noir because I'm not constrained by corporate money or anything. So I would say precisely how I feel, I feel, and cuss people out and shit like that. So that's why they say, "Oh yeah, you're like the other guy that likes black guys that likes guns, right, et, cetera, right. et cetera." So right. it was based on uh, Colion. 
Okay. Um, and so that was, I assumed as much because I'm thinking, I'm like, Marge Therese only been around a year or two and you've been around longer than that. So I was like, I'm pretty sure it's, it's someone older than that. So yeah, second, he still owes me a shirt. I bought a shirt from him like two years ago. I never got my shirt. So who, who Maj or Coleon? Nash. Okay. Well, I will, I will let him know. Um, so another okay. question, someone said, <laughs> so another question related to, so someone said, um, uh, they asked your thoughts on, so I don't know how much you follow political libertarian stuff, but Maj is running as a uh, Congress or uh, running in city for city council for Philadelphia right. as a libertarian. And he made some comments about, uh, uh, I guess, anti-immigrant comments. And we got a ton of people who wanted to know, I guess, because you're also black and also like guns, if you agree with him on immigration. I think... Um... Immigrants need to do things the right way. That's what my father-in-law did. He did things the right way. He came here legally. Um, it, it, this is a, a very sore subject in the black community, and by no means do I represent all of the black community. Right. But traditionally, in those black neighborhoods, the people who would work at the low-paying, entry-level jobs were, were black, and now you're seeing more... Latino and Hispanic people coming into those jobs and, you know, black people being boxed out. And that's the reason why a lot of black people have a problem with immigration, because right. at the end of the day, the first people who um, not, I don't want to say lose their jobs, but the first people economically impacted are the people who are on the lower rungs of the economic ladder. Right. And so that's, unfortunately that's been the traditional realm of, the black society in this country. So I understand where they're coming from, but I do not believe the rhetoric that produces hate at the end of the day is the right one to put your message forward because like it or not, because it are, it's already happened in California, California leading the way um, Latinos make up the, the, the majority and if you look at birth rates among blacks and whites, ours are actually decreasing while Asians yeah. and Latinos are expanding at a tremendous rate. So these people, especially with social media and everything lasts forever, nothing ever goes away. So it's better to meet at the table and discuss uh, how can we mutually find a beneficial relationship versus rhetoric that may come back to haunt you when you're instead of playing, you know, it's basically playing checkers. Right. Life right, is right. Yeah. One, well, especially right. when not only are they coming at, at you know, at most immigration right now is, is either Latino or Asian. And they are, like you said, having more children, especially. So one group that gets left out a lot is Indian Americans who not only are coming at large rates and having large households, they are already the largest. They already have the highest per in per person income of any demographic include they're they're actually neck and neck with white jews um they're they're so they're they're and i mean you're you're in california so you would you would know as well as anyone else they're coming here on mass there's a billion of them in their home country they're having lots of children here and they're having lots and lots of money too because they're starting businesses and everything else keep doing you know extrapolate that out a generation or two you're gonna have a very very large minority of people 
who also are incredibly wealthy. So, you know, be careful how you're talking about these people. Because, <laughs> I mean, right now there's only a million or two of them, but what happens when there's 20 million of them and they have half the country's wealth? Yeah, well, it's expected within my lifetime, and I'm about, I'm close to halfway done, um, that this country will be a majority brown country. Right. And I think that's where a lot of the fear in these these right-wing you know, these Charlottesville Jews when I replace us, all these guys, I think that's the fear. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that these minorities and people may treat them like they treated. Like they treated them. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I think that's the core belief of their fear. But I don't see that going forward in the kids because the kids, my kids are mixed. And. You know, they've gotten everything from are you Asian to to white. Right. And and they're black seeking. And what what the little known fact is Los Angeles was founded by black Seekins. It was like General Pico was the uh he was half black, half Mexican general that helped found it. He's the one of the main dudes that founded this this uh city out here. Oh, okay. You know, we need to understand that at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. It's everybody wants the same thing. They right. want peace. They want to be able to raise their family and have a nice long life and die with their grandkids and great grandkids around them, knowing that they will prosper going forward. Everybody wants that. So why can't that be the common goal instead of, you know, because they want to talk about the disappearing of certain cultures, Western culture, Euro culture or whatever culture, yeah. American, whatever culture you want to call it. Right. But this this enterprise with, of the United States has never been done before. No. This is a, a grand experiment in democracy because you can look at most countries, they're all homogenous. But this country has never had an exclusive monolithic culture that we could say needs to be preserved because, you know, I'm in here in Southern California and like, if it's a a nice night of partying and drinking, I'm like, let's go get some tacos. Right. I don't know if you guys do that in South Carolina after a nice night of drinking and whatever, what's your go-to, but that's a cultural thing. Yeah. So yeah. for, for them to portray their culture as under siege, Number one is it's patently false because culture is passed down through family. Yeah, That's if, if, all, if, it's not a, a a a thing where you know my neighbor next door on either side we all practice the same culture because that just it just no, doesn't happen. No, if your culture is declining, it's because no one wants to have kids with you, and and you should probably examine right. what what's causing that. I uh uh and and this is not new. So when the large groups of Germans and Scandinavians were coming to the U.S. in the early 1800s, the uh and back then they were not considered white. Only people of of uh English Anglo. Yeah. You know, English, Northern French, and Northern German ancestry were considered white. Everyone else was European. And so when these Europeans were coming, there were all these warnings. Even Ben Franklin warned about, you know, these these gutter people from Germany and Scandinavia who were coming to ruin everything. And then uh, later on, when uh, the Irish people, the Russian people, my people, the Jews came, we were foreign people with foreign religions who were going to ruin everything. And then after that, it was... 
uh, people than for a long time, you know, it's been Latin Americans. And now that it's shifting more towards Asians, uh, you know, and, and, and it's always like whatever group is coming, there's someone complaining that America is changing. But America has always been changing. It's like you said. No one 150 years ago was saying, hey, let's go get tacos, unless you were in maybe California or like the border area of Texas. No one in South Carolina was getting tacos uh, or pizza or Chinese food or hummus or any of the things we like. Uh, You know, I have a black Canadian immigrant wife. We dance salsa. We get tacos afterwards. We hang out with people from all different, you know, races and religions. Whatever culture that is, it's a good one. And we also have a home in Toronto where I am literally, it's one of the, the wealthier suburbs in Toronto. I am the only white person in that neighborhood. It is mostly uh, Indians, Pakistanis, uh, a lot of West Indians, so like people from Bar- my, uh, Barbados, like my, my wife's family is, uh, Jamaicans. These are wealthy people. They're wealthy Canadians. They came, they have their you know, thick accents from whatever countries they came from. Their, par- their kids talk like my wife does. They they all sound like Canadians. So a lot of that rinses out in the wash anyway. But the people who are scared, the the ones that I find who are the most scared, it's like you said, the ones who are the most scared of being replaced are the ones who treat other people the most shitty because they're scared that when someone else becomes the majority, they're going to be treated the way that they've been treating everyone else, which to me yeah. says stop treating people that way. No, this is a cycle that has to end. And I might add to that, that us black Americans were the only ones that were truly invited to come to this country. Everybody just, everybody else just came unannounced. We were wanted and invited. So we came here, you know, under an invitation. Everybody else was an intruder going back to the inception of this country. Right. I I mean, that's, that's an awful interesting way to, to, to talk about the transatlantic slave trade to say you were invited. I I guess that's a way of wording it. Now that that is my sarcastic nature, but yeah, <laughs> right. um, I, I I enjoy. I, I don't I don't truly know what my culture is because in Alabama, you know, we get up in the morning and it's it's fish and grits, you know, and I come here in California for breakfast, it's chorizo and eggs, you know. Right, what I'm right, 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 right. You know, that's a cultural thing. And the only thing that's stopping, like I said, the only thing that's stopping your culture from progressing and moving forward is you. So your mindless complaints and Tiki Torch parades, I I found it so comical that these people who still control the judicial system, and ultimately that's what government comes down to because that's the way they mainly oppress people is through the judicial system. That's correct. Yep. Um, when you control that, what are you truly afraid of, or what are you truly worried about? Is is are you scared black cops are going to like my best friend? He was somewhat militant in college. He went to Cal Berkeley, and um, he ended up going to the Marines, and he's actually an officer in the Marines now, and he's a cop. And he says he deals with a lot of racism, and he's a sergeant and everything from uh, a lot of people he works with, but he doesn't view that as something where I need to go out there and extract my personal racist views on other people. He right. was like, you know what? The only way we're going to move past this is by moving past it. Right. I don't believe in, yeah. in affirmative action. I don't believe in special rules for anybody. 
Um, I, I, and, and that's the thing in California. I just did that, that show about where California goes, the, the nation goes, because they're teaching kindergartners about gay history and transgenderism. And I'm like, my kids had enough trouble learning their side words and making sure they, in California, you're expected to read out of kindergarten now right. versus when I was in school is first and second grade, you're expected to learn how to read. Right. So they, there's very high expectations and not all these kids. There, there's this, this parable about education, whereas the lesson is to climb this big, tall tree. You have a monkey, a giraffe, an elephant, a leopard, a goat, um, and, uh, an, and let's say an eagle. Right. And all of these animals are supposed to climb that tree. That's what our educational system is. Right. Now, some of them are well-equipped to climb that tree. But others are well equipped to do stuff on the ground better right. than the ones that can climb the tree. Right, exactly. So that's where you know we look at cultural society and, and we everybody's trying to fit you and plug you into a box. And I'm like, be yourself, propagate your culture as you see fit. When there's an iris parade, go to your iris parade. Right. That's how you extend your culture. That's how you keep the the your forefathers alive and why are you concerned about what other people are doing right yeah no it's the mar- it's the marketplace of ideas i mean we have an oktoberfest every year maybe 10 percent of the people there are german but yeah everyone's, doing it. <laughs> everyone's dressing up like heidi and gretel and hansel or whatever the hell with the with the freaking uh how i don't even know what that clothing's called the, the the tall socks and the buckle belts and buckle shoes and everything like Great, you know, and because people lederhosen. That's what lederhosen. But um, I used to agree on the on the immigration thing that you know they need to go through the legal process. The more time I, after having my wife go through the legal process, seeing what a a thieving mess it is, and then also realizing like these are the same people that can't run the DMV. Do I really want them deciding who can and can't come here? I really like at this point. I mean, I, I'm also pretty much. I mean, I'm an anarchist at this point, so I don't think the government should be doing anything. But I, when I see these people coming here, I get what you're saying. So especially black people and people that are lower income, they're now directly competing with people that just got here who are willing to work for less. Their enemy isn't that immigrant. Their enemy is a government that has, through taxes and regulations and labor regulations, payroll taxes, social security taxes, uh, wage laws and everything else, priced them out of the market so that someone can come in illegally and take their job at you know half the, half the price. The, en- the enemy in my mind is the state, not you know someone who just got here who's just trying to provide for their family. I get what you're saying, but I also, at this point, when I see the, the government not abiding by its own rules, they tell us what we can and can't do while they you know just recently killed a few dozen pine nut farmers in Afghanistan. And they just went, ah, sorry, we didn't mean to. We meant to kill someone else. Sorry about that. I don't really care what they think about people coming here anymore, you know? Well, I agree 100% with everything you said. I think you left off one point on the on the in the factors, and that's also foreign policy. Because if you look at these current immigration waves that are coming, they're coming from Central America. Oh yeah. And I was talking about this today, and people were saying, "Yeah, it was the '80s during the Sandinistas and all that stuff." I was like, "No, it's more like the 1830s when the Monroe Doctrine came into place, and you had." These banana, the term banana republic. That's where yep. I came from because yep. Dole and all these other fruit companies it were down there yeah. just making sure their marketplace was sound and secure. So 
so they could import their products. So they use the the money and influence that they peddle to in Washington, D.C. to get these foreign policies in place that has left that region uh, a literal clusterfuck for what? Almost, years. it's approaching yeah. 200 years now. Yeah. It's 180, yeah. 180 something years yeah. that that region has been uh, manipulated into making sure the economic interest of the United States superseded the liberties and rights of the people that actually live there. And with that unstable nature of their home governments, just, you know, when you have to worry about your government and criminals killing you. Yeah. To me, that would make me want to leave where I was too and take some desperate measures Yeah, for you to walk all the way up to the United States is a bold and courageous act yeah. of defiance in itself. Yeah. Because you're saying, I'm not going to survive in these under these circumstances, under this totalitarian government. I'm going to take my chances going through a foreign land and hoping, hoping I can get to somewhere where I can provide my, my family the basic of necessities. They're not yeah. seeking handouts per se. Yeah. Because the vast majority of these people are hardworking individuals that, you know, I see on a daily basis in the, in the, with their children in our in our school system. You talk to these teachers, they'll tell you the best kids in these schools are the first-generation immigrant kids. Oh, yeah, because they still have an old-world culture of respect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the American kids are, are literal jack. I can't tell you how many times per day I'll go into a classroom and I'll tell the kid, stop looking at me, pay attention to your teacher, and he'll mouth off. Yeah. Or he'll mouth off to his teacher. I've heard kids use every cuss word I know in one sentence at a teacher. And if I had done that, that teacher would have took me to the principal. The principal might, because California just got rid of corporal punishment in the, uh, I think it was the early 90s for public schools. It still exists in private schools. Right, right. But. My greatest fear was them calling my parents and telling them what I did or said. Exactly, exactly. And, and these kids nowadays, because I used to coach youth sports, these parents want to be friends with their kids, or, and they want the cool kids that you know that say all the catchy phrases and know all the lyrics to some stupid fucking rap song when they're <laughs> three, three years old. Right. And then they get them and parade them around in front of people, act like a little jackass, and they get to school. And they make everybody else experience shitty because they don't know how to act in a reasonable manner because their parents wanted the cool kid. Right. So, and that goes back to uh, American culture. If that's the type of culture that we're trying to protect, fuck that shit. Let that shit crumble. Thank you. If, if, if our culture is, is, you know, people listening to mumble rap and then mumbling at their teachers and their parents don't do anything because they're high too. And like, you know, and and immigrants are coming and bringing like old world values. Okay, well I guess they're going to replace us then. Because here's the thing, we're not having kids. So if we're not yeah. having kids, they're having kids. They're teaching their kids to be respectful. What the hell do we have to complain about? It's, it it's it trips me out. But like you said, you have rent seeking corporations that lobby the government to destabilize other parts of the planet that then makes those people come here to get away from our policies because they're pretty sure we won't bomb them if they're here. Or, you know, destabilize their neighborhoods if they're they're here. So it's like we're like, you know, if you're playing a game of tag, we're like, you know, a safe spot where they can't tag you or whatever. 
People who are relatively comfortable tend to stay where they are, even if they're told something's better somewhere else. So even if you're, right. if you're, if you're a subsistence farmer in Nicaragua and, you know, you're not living a great life, but, you know, your, your needs are met. You live in a, you, you feel relatively safe and secure. You're not starving to death. Your government's not trying to kill you because you're in the wrong tribe or the wrong political party or wrong whatever. There isn't some cartel that's trying to destroy you to take your land or whatever. You're probably, and someone tells you, yeah, you know, you could make more money in America. They think, well, I'm not going to go to all the way to America. I don't know anyone there. The culture is different, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to stay here. The people who are, like you said, they're not coming over here for food stamps. They're coming over here to escape their, you know, terrible situations where they're facing, you know, imminent death. And yeah, once they're here and they're told, yeah, we'll give you, you know, free stuff. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. Sure. Why not? It, it, you, you and I would do the same thing if we just, you know, you know, traveled, you know, 2000 miles to escape, you know, almost certain death. And then we're told we can get free housing. Oh, good. Um, yeah. But so I mean, so <laughs> what's that? So you kind of need somewhere to live. Right. I got nothing. So you want to give me a free house? Great. Um, yeah, so, right. yeah, my thing is, if you got rid of the war on drugs, if you got rid of the welfare state, and if you got rid of all of the, the barriers to entry that make American labor unaffordable, most of our objections to immigration, legal or otherwise, would, would tend to go away. But anyway, we have some more questions here. They're all gun questions now. Uh, where do you stand on the 9 millimeter versus 45 debate? I like slow and fat. You know okay. what I mean? But the current ballistics on nine millimeter rounds, uh, especially with the plus P's and all that stuff, they kind of lend credence to more rounds versus bigger rounds. Uh, to be honest with you, I was a complete nine millimeter hater. Yeah. Cause I got shot at one time and the bullet, I had a 1991 Honda Accord. The nine millimeter round went through the back windshield went through the foam-molded headrest in the back seat and lodged in my driver's side headrest. Right. And I was like, that's a weak-ass round. So I didn't literally, I haven't, and, you know, that was way back when. I recent, I bought a 9mm pistol last year. That was okay. my first. My first was a forty caliber, and then I went to a forty-five. So now I have a 9mm because the ballistics have improved to the point because I believe in maximum number of rounds as well as shot placement, because you just never know the nature of the threat. So I'm leaning, I'm like 60, 49 millimeter right now. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I was taught to hate nine millimeters growing up. My dad's like, that's a garbage round. It's for kids. It's yeah. what we, you know, it's what, it's what you're going to learn to shoot with growing up, but then you're going to get a real adult round. I, uh, before I lost all my weapons in a, in a tragic day at sea, uh, I had was, a, it was, it was a too. terrible bottom of the sea, Mariana's yeah. trench. You'll ne- I'll never get them. It's terrible. Uh, I, yeah. I had a, a desert Eagle 357, uh, Magnum. And, uh, because, just because I'm like, you know, maximum penetration. And then now they're telling me the ballistics of nine millimeters are comparable. And I'm like, well, that sucks because nine yeah. millimeters cheap yeah. as hell. All that so. wrist damage for no reason. Yeah, exactly. Although a, a desert Eagle is so heavy. There's almost no recoil, but yes, if it were a nine millimeter, I could probably fire it with my pinky. Uh, so someone asked, which side are you on in the AK versus AR versus SKS debate? AK 47, 100%. Okay. My first uh, rifle, semi-automatic, semi-automatic rifle, was an SKS. 
because I believe in the seven six two by thirty nine round uh, completely. I also believe the SKS is more accurate than the AK forty seven, but the round limitation because California has some very specific laws on SKSs. Um, that was the only one they were able to get stick through uh, challenges in court okay. because they specifically set the SKS. So the ones that we can own here only hold 10 rounds, but with the stripper clips and whatnot and the effective range of it, I think the SKS is a better rifle as far as accuracy and range. But the intimidation factor of somebody seizing, seeing you going to a firing position holding an AK-47 and you may be behind a cinder block wall, that intimidation factor cannot be replicated with an AR-15 because uh, I, I, I refer back to the North Hollywood shootout. I don't know if you recall that. Where these yeah, guys with robbed. the bank robbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, they, they had both a, um, a FAL – and an AK-47, a couple AK-47, but there was a group of police officers that were behind the cinder block wall, and they were firing at him, at one of the guys, and he saw that when they were firing, he turned and fired upon them, and his rounds were going through that cinder block wall like it wasn't shit, and they were catching shrapnel wounds and took them out of the fight. I was like, from that point forward, I was sold, yeah. uh, because you know I've heard stories of it going through telephone poles, and the thing, how you rate an AK-47 is accurate enough but the wound factor in that round whereas you get hit in any extremity you there's a good chance you're going to bleed out versus and combined with the fact if you get hit center mass you're fucking screwed with the ak round right that's i'm just sold on it yeah there's also something to be said i i had relatives that fought in vietnam and they said you know they had m16s which they were constantly yeah. having to clean, constantly having to oil, constantly having to take apart. There was constant jamming. Uh, they had all sorts of problems. And they said, you know, the, the Viet Cong, you know, they had an AK that they could, you know, dig a hole in the ground, shove them all in the ground, and then pull them out and just start firing them without even cleaning them. So there's something right. to be said about a gun whose clearances are so much more loose, I guess is what it is, that it's a cheaper oh. weapon that also, you know, maybe it's not as precise or as whatever, but it also in real world conditions where you're not constantly, you know, if I were ever, ever, ever able to retrieve it from the ocean deep, I, I could probably start firing it again, um, as opposed to an AR, which has probably been disintegrated long ago. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And uh, combined with the fact that if we're talking about a real world situation, whereas a civilian was like you and I were able to retrieve their weapons from the depths of the deepest parts of the ocean. Right. Um, most conflicts, uh, urban conflicts, and this was seen in Iraq and Afghanistan, were less than 100 meters. Yeah. And you do want to place shots on target, but you mm-hmm. also want to be able to eliminate the target in a in a in a manner relatively quickly and uh, ak is the perfect choice for that tip, tip type of situation i remember this one expert i was watching some show on the history channel he's like if, I, if you can go to mars and only could take one weapon with you what would it be and he said ak-47 and i'm like that's precisely what i would think too because right. of the tolerance and the type of environment it actually fires underwater Whereas, you know, the impingement system of a AR-15 would probably just, just soak the water in and you're just sitting there with a sizable club that would uh, present a lot of resistance as you swing it through the uh, volume of water. Right, so, right, right. 
Yeah, no, I mean, you've got people out here fighting in actual hot wars with guns, AKs that are older than their parents. No one's fighting with an M16 from Vietnam. There are still people out there fighting from Vietnam era AKs. So um, here was an interesting question. Who do you think was the most revolutionary black person in U.S. history? That's an extremely tough question to answer because um, my immediate thoughts were, were Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X, but yeah. like Stokely Carmichael, yeah, and a little group called the Deacons for Defense that were a armed branch of the civil rights movement back in the '60s. You know, those are the type of people that I look to um, as as motivation because, as with my Jewish brethren, I, I firmly believe never again. Yeah, And, you know, if you look at gun control and, and, you know, I agree with Maz on a lot of points, specifically that all gun control is racist. You know, Ronald Reagan did, in fact, start the the anti Second Amendment culture with the the Mumford Act uh, that he signed. And that was because the Black Panthers went into the Capitol building armed to the teeth during a protest. Yeah. Yeah. Police violence, and then in, in, to that point, what you know, you look at all these people who are saying like, why is everybody now just protesting police violence? Why is Kaepernick now taking a knee and and all these Black Lives Matters and all this stuff? This is not a new phenomenon, and that's no. the problem with Americans in history. History is a a linear uh, pathway that we travel, and every once in a while, we have to look back at what happened because you know that old saying those that don't know history are bound to repeat the mistakes yeah 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 right 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 but you know if you look back at why all of these people do what they do and do what they did a lot of those factors still exist today so like yeah like uh Kwame Toure uh Stokely Carmichael Marcus Garvey Malcolm X you know as far as you know Martin Luther King I, I just recently went to his museum in Atlanta last year and he was a very diminutive man. He was very short. Well, I'm six five, but a lot of people are short to me. But I was I was upset because at some point you got to say fuck it, let's fight, you know. And if you got to go out, you got to go out, but you got to right. stand up for yourself. Yeah. And that's what I didn't like, you know. First of all, Gandhi was a fucking horrible racist son of a bitch. Yes, and for him to like. Model himself after somebody. Gandhi thought a lot less of him than he thought of Gandhi. Uh, and to the you know, I'm all about you know, let's do this in a peaceful manner because that is my heart and soul. But I also believe that there's a point where if your life is directly threatened, you need to be the most violent motherfucker alive if you want to live. And if- so that's why I don't. I gravitate more to those guys that are willing to like. Let's go versus to turn the other cheek. Fuck that. Get shot yeah. in the other cheek. What are you going to do? Well, and that's if only as a deterrent, right? Like, even if it's not, I'm going to kill all of you, it's I will kill you if you do this to me. So don't do it to me. Let's find a peaceful way to do it. The first person that I thought of when, when, whenever I'm asked about, like, you know, the, the, the greats and, in, in, you know, the black revolutionaries, and I'm like, well, in my mind, the first, like, effective black revolutionary is Nat Turner. And no one likes to hear that. No one likes to hear that. Or very few people like to hear that. But he was the first black guy that white people in power 
were actually scared of. Up until then, it was a combination of, you know, hatred, uh, 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 um, uh, fear, but fear, but in like a, in in sort of a abstract sense, like, well, you know, we can't let these people free because they're a bunch of savages, but not actual fear of them. They didn't fear them at all. uh, uh, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent. My wife and I went to a, a rice museum in Georgetown and they were talking about the history of, it was basically a slavery museum because it was, you know, rice and, and, um, uh, uh, lavender and stuff that they that they grew there, and they talked about the fact that at the time black people slaves outnumbered the white people, the free people, something like eight to one, and uh, they they showed the guns that they'd give the slaves so that they could kill uh, crows to keep away from the crops, and if they killed the crow, they'd be able to keep the crow, and that they uh, and that many of the the overseers uh, were unarmed. The white overseers were unarmed, and they would um, give. Uh, you know, they give guns to the, the, the slaves who outnumbered the white people. So at one point, black people who owned guns outnumbered white people, period, two to one in Georgetown. And they had yep. the guns. And their thought, being enslaved, dying at half the age that the white people did because they were ma- being forced to uh, touch, um, it wasn't lavender, um... It was what they used to make blue dye. Maybe it was lavender, but they would actually get poisoned from it. So they die in their 20s while the white people were living in their 50s uh, at the time. And the only thing that these black people were thinking because they were so conditioned to it was, oh, wow, he gave me a gun. I might be able to kill a crow with it. So they weren't scared of black people is, I guess, my only point. Uh, uh, you know, they weren't scared of black people. Nat Turner made them scared and it actually made them kind of think, oh, wait a minute, maybe we need to treat them. We need to, and, and he actually, and this is a, a largely unknown part of Southern slavery history. It was the Nat Turner brigades that actually helped lead to some of the rules that, uh, uh, required some level of, of treatment and welfare for, for slaves. So up until then, it wasn't quite as strict. And it was actually triggered in part by people saying, if we don't start treating these people better, they're going to all do this. And this was before the Civil War, before emancipation, any of that, uh, uh, before right. Lincoln was even on the stage. It was it was almost now they also then turned around and cracked down on on freed slaves who were talking about ending slavery. But but another thing they did was start treating their slaves with a little bit more respect not because they respected them, but because they actually feared, oh, wait a second, they could actually get guns and start doing guerrilla warfare against us. And, and, you know, we're soft flesh too. We can, we could, we could die today. Um, so I, I actually, that was the first person I thought of, but, um, and then the, the last follower, go ahead. Today's his birthday, by the way. Is it really? Yeah. It's October 2nd. Happy birthday, Nat Turner. Uh, so last question uh, uh, from the follower. And then I'm going to do the, my fellow Americans, uh, but the final, my fellow Americans, but, um, the last question, is there any part of government that you think is necessary and couldn't be provided, uh, better by the free market? Only because the, um, free market, like I I would point to Blackwater and, you know, their mindless killing of innocent people, but, there needs to be a standing military in the sense that there are threats, global threats that the government has created. And until those global <laughs> threats are have um, no longer, until they no longer exist, there needs to be some sort of military to respond in a defensive manner. Like 
I don't believe in offensive actions right. because of, you know, our interests when, you, you know, you know the, the United States is in the Middle East, like, hard, and we're actually exporting oil, which I don't understand. If we have the capability to export oil, why do we need to have our interest in the Middle East when we could be a self-contained energy producer? Right. And so I do believe we need to have a military force capable of responding to a imminent threat or something to that regard. But that's the only true everything else. I'm not, you know, it was funny when the FDA was shut down as part of the government shutdown last year in, in uh, December in the winter, last winter. Yeah. 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 Nobody died from <laughs> eating salad. But when they're in full force and fully enforcing laws, you know, I think uh, more than two dozen people died last year from eating fucked up salads. But when they were off, nobody died. No one died. No one died. And there were no and there were no there were no birds out either, which makes you wonder about the birds. Um, Yeah. But um, yeah. So it's one thing, again, like you said, it's one thing to say, you know, we need a, a standing military just to protect us from, you know, defensive defensively against threats. I don't think we necessarily need to protect the Saudi kingdom or, or Israel, which is Israel has a per capita income comparable to like France and Italy and, and, and Germany and, and the U like, they're like a European level of, of of prosperity. And I'm a Jew. So, I mean, I I have nothing against Israeli or, you know, the Israelis or the, you know, I mean, I have uh, distant relatives in Israel, there's no need for Americans to be dying and fighting and killing to protect a wealthy country that themselves have a very impressive military considering their sides. So there's no reason for that. Yeah. And, and why every day we're sitting what is it? $4 billion a day. It's like, would you feed your neighbor's kids before you fed your own? Yeah. We have ridiculous. all these needs and all these problems here, you know, cause I'm completely against foreign aid. Yeah. All you of know, it. Yeah. Like a natural disaster, some sort of emergency, because all that does is it creates puppets. And if you have to borrow money to give it to somebody else, you know <laughs> who does that in real life? Right, only exactly. government. That yeah, makes zero sense. Yeah, foreign aid. I yeah. think it was Ron Paul that said foreign aid is the government robbing poor people in the U.S. to give to rich, wealthy people in foreign countries. You know, because it's not right. like it's going directly to poor people. It's going to their governments who then become corrupted by it. So the whole thing yeah. is a mess. But um, so you have been an amazing guest. Before I let you go, because this could go on for literally hours. I've had an absolute blast having you on. I hope you'll you'll come on again. Before I let Absolutely. you go, before I let you go, I have a segment called Final My Fellow Americans where I give a guest 30 seconds, which is nowhere near enough time. And I ask them a question. Uh, and they have to do it in 30. I, I actually, you can go past 30 seconds, but I do time it. Uh, but uh, so for your question, um, I'm going to give you 30 seconds and you will tell me your top five rappers or rap groups. And I will also accept R&B rap- singers or R&B groups either, either way. Your, but uh, your top five rappers or rap groups. And then I'll tell you if you're correct or not. Uh, so let me know when you're, when you're ready to get started. I'm ready. Okay, good. All right, so uh, final my fellow Americans, uh, 30 seconds on the clock. Good luck starting now. Five Top five rappers and rap groups. A Tribe Called Quest. 
Wu-Tang Clan. N.W.A. Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Oh, wow. I would have to go with Ice Cube as a solo artist. I'll give you a bonus one, because that was five, but I'll give you a bonus one. What's that? Myself. If you look look up Marcus Matthews on, what is that, Spotify or SoundCloud? I'm on SoundCloud. I posted all my shit from the 90s. Okay, so bonus of yourself. Okay, so yourself, yeah. what'd you say? Tribe? Uh, Tribe? Del the Funky Homo Sapien. I haven't heard that name in a while. Uh, NWA, yeah. Ice Cube as a solo artist, and Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang, yeah. I, I'm okay with that list. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, I could probably, you know, I tend to put Wu-Tang at the number one of everything, but right. I... Yeah, I'm good with that list. Good job. I'm <laughs> I'm happy with that list. So, appreciate that. no, thank you. Um, so no, that was good. So, um, Marcus, again, this has been an absolute blast. Um, and we have your show in the show notes. So definitely, guys, check check Marcus out. Before I let you go, I'm going to give you a chance to give your final thoughts. Anything that you think we haven't had, we didn't get a chance to discuss that you want to talk about. Anything that you have upcoming that you want to promote. Any anything you want to talk about at all, as long as you want. Marcus Matthews, the floor is yours. First of all, I want to thank you for having me on. This was really cool. Uh, my family was excited for me, my coworkers and everything. The only one, oh, the, the only thing I would like to like really add to this great conversation that we had is for my American, fellow Americans, don't be satisfied with your government. Your government should be working at the complete behest of you. Yeah, I heard somebody say one time, the only people who don't have a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. or any of your state capitals is the American people. Every enterprise, every industry, every uh, thing you could think of that it, it is ran by a corporation has a lobbyist that has your congressman, your senator, your president's ear at their beck and call based on the monetary givings of that entity, except for you. If you're not going to hold your government accountable for them misspending your money or them killing your fellow citizen, we're all in the same line. Now, some of us have different positions in that line, but we're all in the same line. Eventually, they're going to come around and pull your number. So when you see a guy like Botham John get killed in his home while the government sits here and makes excuses and you were like, well, yeah, the government's right. You can expect one day that you or somebody you love could be subject to the same treatment. Right. And you're complicit, uh, your, your complicit actions for that government to get away with that, it will touch you one day. And that's all I really want to say is, like, hold your government accountable. You can't vote for the same people over and over again and expect different results. Everybody's heard that shit before. The lesser of two evils, all that bullshit. Vote for somebody new, especially if you're in California. California is a foregone conclusion that no matter on the national scale who you vote for, it's going blue. 
So why don't you take your vote and vote for a third party so they can at least open up that stage to a third person in the Libertarian Party, whatever it is, so we can start finally getting some honesty out of these politicians because they don't have to be honest with you. All they have to do is say the other guy on the other side is wrong, and that's all they do. So why not give your vote to somebody who's going to make these people actually bring forth ideas and not criticisms of the guys on the other side? So And live free or die. Live free or die. Absolutely. Marcus, thank you again. Um, stick around. I'm going to talk with you during the outro. Um, guys, thank you again for tuning in for to my fellow Americans. I hope you had as much of a blast tonight as I did. Absolutely great guest. Um, be sure to tune in uh, next week, next Tuesday, for the Muddied Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I will be parsing through the week's events like the sweet autumn cherubs that we are. I'm going to, I'm going to have to work on what we are. But uh, uh, And then tune in next Wednesday right here uh, for my fellow Americans. I will be interviewing, my guest will be John Phillips, who is running, he is Kim Ruff's running mate, running for uh, uh, the uh, nomination for president and vice president uh, under the Libertarian Party. Um, And guys, have a great week. Thanks again for tuning in, and God bless you.